You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome into the Locked On Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade. Joined as always by my co-host, David Drogemeyer, and on today's show, to get into everything that went wrong for the Chargers this season, we have one of the original members, John Kegley, on with us today. We are three writers who got our start at San Diego Sports Domination, San Diego's top sports blog, and we've been covering the Chargers now for over six seasons, doing our own Facebook Live show, Chargers Domination Live, which airs weekly, and now this is our fourth season as the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. All right, guys, well, big news in the NFL on Thursday. We have a bunch to get into, but I first want to start by just saying thank you to everyone who's checking out the show today for the first time. We really appreciate that, and a special thank you as well to all of our loyal listeners coming back to check in after some really big news in the NFL because the Chargers are obviously in the coaching carousel, and the first two big dominoes fell on Thursday as Robert Sala ended up getting signed to be the New York Jets head coach and Urban Meyer signed to be the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. So we finally have seen some movement in the coaching department, the first two hires to happen. Both of them are pretty big splashes because Urban Meyer, I mean, was a real long shot, I thought, to come into the NFL this year. He found a really good situation. And then for Robert Sala, he pretty much interviewed with everybody for the head coach opening. So we're going to start with that and then We always like to do our what went right and what went wrong from every game of the season. And now we are going to be getting into our season-long what went right and what went wrong. And obviously a season in which you don't make the playoffs, a lot went wrong. We have John Kegley here, our expert in all things wrong, to break that down. But when you find Justin Herbert, I mean, some things obviously went right as well. So we're going to be getting into those in the second and third segment. We'll wrap the show up with what went right so we can end it on a positive note. But let's go ahead and get into it. We have finally seen a head coach sign in the NFL in 2021, and the first domino to fall was Urban Meyer, but the one that was probably most closely linked to the Chargers was Robert Sala, who was supposed to have his second interview with the Chargers on Thursday, and now as of Thursday night, he has signed a five-year contract with the Jets, according to Adam Schefter and a couple of different sources, and This is one that I think the Chargers were very interested in, John. I mean, he was a guy who was high energy. He had a very successful defense. He had a lot of connections in a pretty good organization with the San Francisco 49ers. And he also just brought that intensity that you don't see from some of these coaches. He's a guy, you know, who's going to be probably a player's coach just from how his players react to him and all of those things. I know that you liked Sala, John. How did you feel about him signing with the New York Jets? Uh, It's not the end of the world. Um... It sucks. I'd say he was probably like the backup option the table for me, but there's a lot of good options still left. It's not like last year, or I, I should say uh, four years ago when we were when we got Lynn, where there was only like maybe two good options, and once one goes down, now you're all in on that other one. There's a lot of good guys left over, so it's not the end of the world. It's a big domino to fall, but it's not the end of the world. It's the best way I can explain it for myself. Yeah, I think that there's obviously other names that would hurt more. Names that still aren't even available right now, like Brian Dable, who still, as of this moment, is the favorite to win the Chargers head coaching job. But at the same time, as far as defensive coordinators go, especially early on in this process, I think he was 
undoubtedly the number one defensive coordinator that almost every team was looking at if they wanted to go in that direction. And for me, I was upset only because you know he's so linked in with the 49ers and there's a couple of guys over there like Mike McDaniel and Mike LaFleur that probably would have come along with him and probably will now to the Jets. At least one of those guys, a couple of them are you know interviewing for other offensive coordinator positions around the league. But you would have at least felt nice that you have some very experienced offensive assistants that would be coming over from a good system in San Francisco that you know you'd feel good about Justin Herbert being paired with. So the other one that's still on the market as far as defensive coordinators is Brandon Staley. But David, I know this is a guy that was definitely at least in your top five, maybe your top three in Robert Sala. I know that you love the energy and all of those things and his aggressive style of defense. And now we have seen that first big domino that has been connected with the Chargers go down. Yeah, and also I was listening to an Adam Schefter podcast where Adam Schefter talked to Robert Sala in 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 depth. I mean, they had a, probably a twenty or thirty minute conversation, and you really got a better feel of who Robert Sala was as a person. He has six kids. He has, actually has uh, another one on the way. His wife is pregnant right now. He has a seventh uh, child on the way, which is crazy. I mean, I'm from a, a family of seven kids as well, so something is very familiar to me. But uh, another thing stuck out, I saw a video of him and, and one of his philosoph- philosophies as far as building his coaching staff was, hey, you need to get coaches that do things that you can't do. I mean, and I think, you know, to have that that mentality when you're building a staff to go get a collection of coaches that are, are going to really attack uh, you know, one specific avenue of coaching up a player and then having, you know, that complete base when you have everybody on your staff contributing. I just love that mentality. And yes, I love the fiery nature. I love the way he carries himself and the way he speaks. I am a big fan of all of that. He was my number three. Uh, but I mean, hey, the, whenever you get an opportunity to, you know, be a head coach in this league, you got to take the best opportunity for yourself. And Robert Sala felt that that was being the new head coach of the Jets. And the Jets are obviously a mess, but as far as you know, trying to rebuild, you get the second overall pick in this upcoming draft. You are going to have to make a big decision on what you're going to do with Sam Darnold, but there's definitely some pieces there, and I think it was an attractive job in a big market, even though if I was a head coach, I mean, there's obviously a couple more attractive options that I would have looked at for sure. But I think the thing with Robert Sala was you saw what he was able to do when he was missing his best players. He still kept that team competitive. Their DVOA in 2020 was sixth in the NFL, and that's with missing Nick Bosa for the entire year. You missed D4, Jaquiski Tart, Jamar Taylor, all starters. Richard Sherman missed 11 games as well. I mean, it was a Super Bowl-level defense in 2019. I mean, the guy just seems like he's a good coach, and it would have been exciting to have a guy like that who could get these guys fired up. But obviously, there's a couple of guys that would have hurt more. But one of the guys I don't think we ever really took too seriously was Urban Meyer. And this is only news really for the Chargers just because on Wednesday, reports were coming out that the Chargers were interested quote unquote in Urban Meyer. And I mean, we all got on the show and talked about how we weren't really taking that seriously. Obviously, he was just kind of driving up the asking price potentially or going for a little bit more power in Jacksonville because the two, you know, never even met and had an official interview. But now he goes to the Jaguars. And I'm wondering, John, do you think that the Jaguars job is a better job? I mean, that's really where he had his sights set the whole time. But you get Trevor Lawrence, you get 11 draft picks in this upcoming draft. You have the most salary cap space in the NFL in a year that, you know, 
players are going to go for less because of the uncertainty with the salary cap. So I do think that, you know, for a guy who's trying to build something in Jacksonville, it was a good pick for him. But do you think that he missed out on an opportunity to have a better situation with the Chargers? I'd, I'd say not. I think Urban Meyer wants to be able to draft his own guys. Like, does Justin Herbert fit what he wants to do? Is Does he get to start over fresh with Justin Herbert? Probably not. I mean, is it a good head start to have Herbert? Yes. But if you're Urban Meyer, you probably want to draft your own QB and then build around him and so on and so on. And I Plus, I believe he probably would, is going to get a lot more power in Jacksonville than he would with the Chargers, which is something he probably wants as well. So I think for Urban Meyer, Jacksonville was the better fit and a bigger opportunity for him. Other coaches, if you were to say like, I don't know, like let's say Brian Dable, just for a, a throw up between Jaguars and the, the Chargers, I'd say the Chargers is the better opportunity for him. Yeah, I think especially if you, you're someone that doesn't have, you know, the name brand value that Urban Meyer does and it might not get as long of a leash is Urban Meyer is definitely going to get with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You can take a chance if you're Urban and go somewhere where you know you're going to have a few years to build it and try to, you know, set up the team the way you want to do it. If you're a Brian Dable, you don't know how long that leash is. You want to come in and you want to win right away. So I think I would agree with you there. I do think that the Chargers are a better job. And the thing is, is yes, obviously getting Trevor Lawrence is nice, but... I mean, I think the best case scenario for Trevor Lawrence, especially in his first year, is probably what Justin Herbert's season looked like, right? I mean, I don't think you could ask him for anything more than the best rookie quarterback season that we've ever seen. So I think that you know it's a proven commodity already with Justin Herbert. You've actually seen it in action for 15 games. You know what you have there instead of you know taking a draft pick who you just never know what they're going to turn into, but... Two guys are off the table for the Chargers and a couple more that we know that they're looking very closely at in Brian Dable and Brandon Staley are still available, but the Chargers will have to continue being patient. But we do have two more segments to get into because it's time to get into our season long what went right and what went wrong. And we're getting to get into all things wrong with our expert John Kegley coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that the best protein bar on the planet is Built Bar. And I know because I've had a lot of protein bars and the only one that I consistently like and I like the most flavors of is Built Bar. And I think when you're talking about protein bars, it has to taste good for me to eat it. So I know a lot of you probably feel the same way. And there's such a variety of different things. I mean, 18 flavors to choose from. Peanut butter, banana bread, peanut butter, brownie. Sorry, I love peanut butter. But all the bars are 100% covered in chocolate and soft and easy to chew. And they're great for any diet that you're trying to get into. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And they're also great for the keto diet as well. And right now we can save you guys some money on Built Bars because if you go to BuiltBar.com, you can use the promo code LOCK on to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code locked on all caps, one word for 20% off at builtbar.com. All right, guys, well, it's time to get into something that we've done after every game all season long. And as we get a little bit further away from the 2020 season, we wanted to make sure that we got into our 2020, what went right and what went wrong. And as always, We'll start with the bitter stuff and we'll start with John Kegley and we'll end up with the what went right and get into the positive side of things that happened for the Chargers in 2020. But first, we start with the guy who's the peak of bleak, King Kong of wrong, the guy who sees the glass half full, the pessimist of the group. We have John Kegley, the one and only, here to tell us, John, in a season which it seemed like everything went wrong, especially early on, what did you think stood out to you the most? Everything. <laughs> Long list. <sighs> 
uh, if you had to pick one, uh, I, I want to go like between special teams and play calling. So I'll, I'll just go with play calling. I'll let one of you guys take special teams. But uh, it's the play calling we had when we had the lead, getting conservative and not putting the foot on the pedal cost us a lot of games. Like against the Saints, you had a decent lead. You shouldn't, it shouldn't have come down to Michael Badgley missing the field goal. There's so many games you blew a 16-plus point lead. I know you won against the Jaguars, but still, against the Jaguars, who have no success this year, you let them come back. Just really never putting your foot on the pedal in any game. You probably could have been in the playoffs despite injuries, despite special teams, despite a lot of things. If you would have just kept your foot on the pedal, you had a lead in a lot of games. You probably still would have made the playoffs in a miracle way. Yeah, and the Chargers obviously lost nine games. They had the lead in halftime in most of them, I mean, in five of those games. So five of the nine losses, they had the lead. A lot of those late in the game, they had the lead, and they just weren't able to finish it off. So I think you can't talk about the 2020 season without talking about, you know, historical bad of, you know, blowing four consecutive 16-point leads. I mean, that's literally NFL history right there. And I think finishing just, I mean, anywhere you look, David, and you're talking about finishing the Chargers just couldn't do it, whether it was at the end of the first half, whether it's offense trying to get points on the board and then it's the Falcons game where you end up with nothing because of terrible clock management or just allowing your defense to consistently give up late scores towards the end of the game, consistently give up scores going into halftime. I mean, no matter where you look, it seemed like the Chargers couldn't finish for the entire season, even the games that they won. I mean, against the Falcons, it took three second-half interceptions by Matt Ryan. Against the Raiders, you had them you know, have to settle for a field goal down inside your five-yard line to get that win. I mean, it didn't seem like they even perfected it towards the end, even when they were winning games. That was a key theme to the 2020 season. Yeah, absolutely, Daniel. I mean, they didn't demonstrate that really at any point. There was a couple of drives here and there at the end of halves, where you're like, okay, that's what it's supposed to look like. But those were few and far between this season. And the Chargers in the red zone, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the major themes is just the inability to finish. And that's why, you know, you blow four 16-plus point leads. I mean, that's just uh, – it's it's historic how incredibly terrible the Chargers were at, at finishing games. But for me, my, my what went wrong, or at least one of the, one, one of the ones on my list – was their inability to get after the quarterback. I mean, yet again, another year where the Chargers are pretty much inept without Jerry Bosa. They're 24th in the league in sacks with only 27, and that's just not going to get it done. I mean, I think it's glaringly obvious now that after that Joey Bosa goes down, there's really nobody else that can contribute. Melvin Ingram's going into free agency. They have to add more people that can rush the passer. They have to get better at it. And hopefully whoever the new staff is, they are focusing on getting after the quarterback at a much better rate. Yeah, well, I don't know if you necessarily need to pick up somebody. I mean, you have a couple of decent players that can rush the QB. It's are you going to actually game plan it? Are you actually going to use your players the right way? You know, is the next guy that comes in going to actually say, okay, we have Bosa and Nwosu, let's send a linebacker as well. Let's mix this up so that we can get Bosa singled up more or something. Are we going to get some of that? Because Gus Bradley just said, here's four rushers, go. And you, that means five offensive linemen and a tight end are probably blocking with a running back. How are four people going to get through that? 
Well, I think part of the thing that went wrong is just the Chargers didn't seem like they really wanted to give Uchenin Wosu the chance to show that he could be the guy going forward. They would have rather given it to Jerry Tillery. And even at this point, I just don't know if I'm comfortable with Jerry Tillery being the starting defensive end and feeling great about that. And the other thing is, is you still don't have an interior pass rusher, which is something they seemingly have been trying to figure out for a long time. I mean, nobody on that interior got any kind of, you know, pressure or put up any kind of numbers, whether it was Linval Joseph or Justin Jones, even Jerry Tillery when he was in there. I mean, the Chargers still don't have that guy that's going to help those guys on the outside create pressure and be able to finish sacks because there's still no push in the pocket. So that's really something that went wrong. But it is time to get to the special teams. And do I have it for the special teams? So this is going to take a second. If you guys want to write some notes down, that's fine too. But we all know that the 2010 Chargers team, first in offense, first in defense, was bad on special teams, and that's probably understating it, but this team was worse. That team had a DVOA from Football Outsiders of negative 10.2. This season's 2020 Chargers were at negative 12.4%. They were the worst unit in the last 20 seasons since the 2000 Buffalo Bills. They missed nine field goals three PATs. They allowed 15.2 per punt return, which was the second worst in the NFL. It was surprising that somebody was worse than that. The Packers obviously were, but they also allowed three of the punts to be blocked. They allowed 564 return yards, the worst in the league. The second worst was the Jets, who you never want to be mentioned with. They were at 446, so still over 120 less. And the third worst was the Vikings at 321. So that's a 243-yard difference between the worst and the third worst in the NFL. They were 28th in the league in punt return average. They were 29th in the league in kickoff coverage, allowing 26.9 yards per return. They were the second worst at punting it inside the 20-yard line with only 12. No matter where you look at this team, John, their special teams was an absolute garbage fire and ended up being one of the worst that we've ever seen. And this goes back to 1950, according to DVOA, and it's the fourth worst special teams unit since 1950. It it fits. The, the, the title fits. <laughs> it was a, every time you feel like the Chargers were starting to do good, something would always happen special teams-wise. I mean, Saints game. You're like, okay, we got the game when he drive. Just got to make this and we win. Nope, missed field goal. Uh, driving, you're driving, trying to make a comeback, score a touchdown, need a field goal the next drive. Oh, no, wait, Michael Badgey just missed the extra point. Now you need a touchdown the next drive. Like Every time it felt like it was getting better. Nope, there's a block punt. This the special teams really held this team back from a lot of things. I mean, I know we I talked about the play calling held us back from things, but even when somehow, some way, Herbert found a way to sneak us back into the game, the special teams would mess it up, especially Michael Badgley. Oh, my God. The missed field goals cost us so many games as well. It's amazing that small something so small that gets like maybe five to seven snaps a game just cost you a whole entire game. Yeah, and Michael Badger, just for perspective, hit um, less than 73% of his field goals in 2020, which ranked 28th in the NFL. So the Chargers at the bottom of the league as far as how accurate their kicker is too. So, I mean, there are so many things that went wrong. But, David, I know you probably have something else, but I would also throw in just, once again, the free agents brought into this team failed to make a real impact. So, you look at who the Chargers brought in, we really liked the class at the beginning, but obviously health was a huge part of it. And you look at who they brought, Chris Harris Jr. missed seven games, Brian Bulaga missed six games, left early and even more, Trey Turner misses seven games. Those three guys, the three guys that were supposed to come in and be able to help as far as the offensive line, especially, and with Chris Harris Jr., 
Jr., you know, kind of reinforce the secondary and give them something outside of Desmond King. Really, the only guys that stayed healthy were Linval Joseph and Nick Vigil, and those guys deserve credit. But when you have the three most marquee signings in trade that you have in the offseason not come through for you, of course, it's going to lead to a season that you wish you could have back. Yeah, definitely not ideal, all right? I mean, you go out there and you spend a good amount of money to try to bring in some veterans to come in here and play and play well, but they just can't stay on the football field. And the guys you do get, you know, who stay on there, Linval and Nick Vigil, they do play admirably for, you know, what they were asked to do. But you really wanted the offensive line guys to be able to stay healthy and really make an impact, but they just didn't. And that was one of my what went wrongs is the offensive line was very injured and it was very bad. I mean, again, one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. And it just seems like this is year after year after year. And also that leads me to another of my what went wrongs, and that was just that no running back had more than 530 rushing yards, and that was Austin Eckler, and he missed multiple games this season. So it just makes you feel like there's really nobody else that they can really trust to run the football. They have to do a lot better, especially with Anthony Lynn, the guy who was supposed to be touted for his ability to run the football and his commitment to that. It did not really come to fruition this year. I mean, just not a great running game. I mean, well, and speaking of Anthony Lynn, I mean, can is that not what went wrong as well? Especially post game speeches saying Herbert's a backup for a reason and stuff like that. I mean, the decision making he had, and even having faith in the wrong players. You're telling me you have faith in Trent Scott and Sam Tevy, but when Herbert comes to life, you want Tyrod Taylor to be your starter again? Like, how does any of this make sense to me? I don't get it. Anthony Lynn was really about relationships and egos and stuff like that. Even George Stewart, I get it, he's your mentor, but you're a head coach, you're here to win, and you're not here to make friends. You need to let the guy go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't even think that's even the biggest part of where Anthony Lynn went wrong. I think you saw that on the field when his philosophies led to a lot of very poor clock management, led to him and Shane Steichen getting into on the sideline when Steichen's running on third and one with no timeouts and they don't get it. And he's like, Anthony... You told me to run the ball on every third and one forever. So there was definitely a lot, especially clock management, game management, discipline as far as penalties. This team didn't have any of those things done well in 2020, and it was a big reason. Anthony Lynn is a fired coach for a reason. Oh, wow. He's sent it right back at him. But unfortunately, we do have a segment where we can actually talk about some of the things that went right for the Chargers this season, including some young players stepping up and obviously finding out that you have found your franchise quarterback of the future. And we're going to get into all of those things coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that the official betting sponsor of the Locked On Chargers podcast is betonline.ag. If you guys want to go throw some money down on who's going to be the Chargers' next head coach, you can get the odds at betonline.ag. Brian Dable is the favorite, but if you put some money on Dable down right now, you're feeling really good about it. You still get quite a big payout from them. So if you guys want to use the best betting website in the one place that we trust in the one place that has you covered, you guys can go to betonline.ag. And if you guys sign up today, you can get a free account and use that promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. That's free money to gamble with. There's only a couple weekends left of the NFL guys. So put your money in now, get some bets on these games and add some juice to your Saturdays and Sundays. Then you guys can do it with betonline.ag and make sure when you guys sign up to use the promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. All right, well, it's time to get into what went right in the 2020 season, and we'll start with our optimist of the group, and that is 
David Drogemeyer. He's the one of, of the three of us that sees the glass half full. He picked the Chargers the most to win this season going into it, even when you know nothing looked like it was going right for the team. He still had faith, and he was right a couple more times down the season because he had the faith that they'd be able to pull some of those games off. So, David, when you're looking at this season, obviously it's not a good season. Just, you know, it isn't. You didn't make the playoffs. You go 7-9. and nine. But there was obviously a few bright spots. So when you're talking about what went right in 2020, where would you start? I mean, I think you can't start anywhere else but the fact that you found your franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. I mean, when we all saw Justin Herbert get picked by the Chargers, we were all very ho-hum about it. We just didn't – we weren't – weren't very excited. We didn't know what to expect. We knew he had some great physical gifts and, and, and abilities, but we knew there were some things that he had to work on, some mental processing, some processing of the football field. But, man, did he come in and he got an opportunity and he showed everybody that he is not only capable of playing at a high level in, in this in this league, but he's going to be doing it for a long, long time. So the Chargers definitely hit on Justin Herbert. You can't go anywhere else. Uh, but start with him as far as what went right this season. I mean, most completions, most 300-plus yard passing games, most passing touchdowns, most total touchdowns. I mean, the accolades go on and on and on for Justin Herbert. So one of the best things that went right this season was knowing that you have Justin Herbert on a rookie deal to build around for the next several years. Absolutely. It's one of the most you know valuable assets that you can have on any NFL roster is to have a competent quarterback, a good quarterback, a really good quarterback, on his rookie contract and be able to try to win during that window. And now the other part of that is, is really, I mean, they are, what went right was him even getting onto the field. And that's also what went wrong because Tyrod Taylor got his lung puncture. And I don't want to make light of that by any means, because he lost himself a lot of money. The chargers lost him some money by not letting him, you know, go out there and prove that he should be a quarterback in this league. But if it doesn't happen, then you don't see Justin Herbert, you know, potentially till the Chargers fall out of the playoffs late in the season. And you don't have that to tout while you're going to look for your new head coach. So I think that just even going into this offseason and feeling as confident as we are in Justin Herbert, John, obviously it's one season. You can never say, okay, this guy's great. It's only been one season, but... The closest you can get is what we saw from Justin Herbert in 2020. And now you have that valuable asset to kind of show off and say, hey, we are the best destination. Because, look, you get a competitive roster that won seven games and really should have probably won 10 games. And you have your franchise quarterback and two cornerstone players and Joey Bosa and Keenan Allen locked up. But most importantly, a young, really good superstar quarterback. Well, and you're going to be getting a new coach to go with that. So usually what happens with quarterbacks who have a successful first year and fail the next year is you, you they figured you out, basically. And if you have the same head coach, they, they tend to do the same thing the next year with you, and then teams figure you out, and now it's up to you to adjust, and lots of them can't adjust. But with Herbert, he's going to get another head coach, offensive coordinator, so it's going to be a new game plan, so they're probably going to use him a little bit different as well. So it might help him still be successful. But with if you look at how hard the guy studies and learns and tries to improve, I'm sure he's going to improve his game somehow. Whatever someone throws at him, he's going to adjust to it. He did it all year long, no offensive line to help him, and still yep. is leading the league in all these stats under pressure like Phillip Rivers did. <laughs> he's somehow, some way adjusted. So you got a guy who's going to learn, adjust. No matter who comes here, you're going to have your guy. And we didn't often see him make the same mistake twice, right? I mean, there was a couple moments where you're like, oh, 
You don't throw back across your body when you're rolling out to your left. Then it's the Patriots game. He tries to do it going to his right. He tries to throw it back, and it gets intercepted by Chase Winovich. Like, there was just certain things where you saw him do it, and then he wouldn't do it again. And I think that, you know, him taking care of the football, 10 interceptions in 15 games. I mean, when you're getting the explosiveness of what else he's doing outside of that, setting all of these records, I mean, I think you would happily take 10 interceptions in his rookie season. I think we all thought it might be more than that if he had to get extended time out there. I mean, Peyton Manning, 28 interceptions his rookie season. So it comes in all shapes and sizes. But right now you are feeling like you made the right move with Justin Herbert. And I'll tell you what, if we were the Miami Dolphins right now going into this offseason and you're just sitting here saying, why didn't we move up for Justin Herbert if you were the Chargers? Or, you know, why didn't we take Herbert over to uh, if you're the Dolphins? Like the Chargers don't have to worry about that. And that's so nice. Like you can sit back and watch Dolphins fans as they try to justify Tua Tonga Vailoa just because they're doing it because they have fear that he might not be the guy. And I think most Chargers fans are 100% in agreement that the Chargers have found their franchise quarterback. But he couldn't have done it without a couple of younger players stepping up for him, David. So I think that going into the season, we had such low expectations for the Chargers wide receiver three position. We thought it was going to be potentially KJ Hill or even Joe Reed that would get the most chances out of that role. But ended up being Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton. And not only did the Chargers get a couple of deep threats, I mean, both of them averaged more than 18 yards per reception. And when you have a rocket arm quarterback, that's the kind of routes that you want those guys to be running. But you have a couple of guys that make you feel a little bit better about the position group going forward. This was somewhere we thought there would be a major hole. And even KJ Hill started kind of coming through and breaking through with some big routes and some big catches down the stretch of the season. But when you're looking at Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson, you know, combining for 48 catches, combining for over 900 yards offensively with six touchdowns, plus all the big plays that they brought. I think that has to be something that went right. Without without question. I mean, big play monsters, 19, 19.9 yards per reception for Johnson, 18.3 for Jalen Guyton. I mean, these guys had multiple touchdowns of over 50 yards. I mean, they were big play monsters. And for Tyron Johnson, his route running got a lot better towards the end of the season. He was not just making the big plays. He was making the important catches as well. I mean, that he really expanded his route tree. And for Jalen Guyton, Man, the only thing he he probably could have had, you know, five five or six, maybe even seven touchdowns if he would have just caught the ball. He dropped a couple of them, and that's one thing he needs to work on going forward. But nobody saw this type of production, but between these two guys, I mean, these guys were relatively unknown before the season, and they come out and they perform like this. But I also want to tout a couple of other guys that you know really played extremely well. I mean, Michael Davis. I mean, is a guy we've harped on a lot on this show. Uh, a guy that we, you know, said, hey, you got to get your head around. You know, he, he finally started to put that all together. He always had the size and speed, but he went out there and, and he had a great campaign. And, and he had three interceptions in a contract year. He's, he earned himself some money. And then Kenneth Murray, I mean, just to watch his maturation throughout the season, 107 tackles as a rookie and to see him get better game after game after game, it's really you know, interesting and fun knowing that you're going to be able to watch this guy and see him get just get better year after year. Uh, a couple of good years for Davis and for Kenneth Murray on the defense. I mean, what about Denzel Perryman as well? Denzel Perryman definitely. Without question. It. Yeah, I mean, he deserves a mention there because he was probably their best overall linebacker for the season. I mean, Kenneth Murray by the end of the year was playing well. 
But Denzel Perryman was their most consistent guy there. I mean, I think even Nick Vigil was a good signing. Just having to fill in for guys that are injured and doing it pretty well, I thought was nice. But going back to mm, where does that sound familiar? But finding depth, I mean, nowhere with the Chargers. Oh, I told you Nick Vigil was going to be a decent piece, and you guys had no faith in him. Boom. Oh, no. That's hey, not, I can admit when I'm wrong, true. I'm okay with it. Hey, Nick Vigil came in here and you played well on defense and special teams, so he was a great pickup. I always thought Nick Vigil would be a good reserve. I did not want him to be the starting linebacker, but, I mean, I guess I still, I mean, I wouldn't want Nick Vigil full time. I mean, I would still, hopefully, you have someone better than that, but as far as a backup, I don't think you can do much better than he did. He was pretty sound. He always found himself in the right place at the right time. So, yeah, I probably was a little bit low on Nick Vigil, but I don't think I trashed or signed by any means but I do want to go back to Michael Davis because he did have the best year of any of the Chargers corners and when you're talking about you know outside of the three guys we mentioned Joey Bosa had a good season it's hard to really look on that defense and find a lot of other people that had really good seasons I think Rayshon Jenkins had a better season but I mean it wasn't great I mean we're not thinking of him as one of the best safeties in the NFL and these other guys I mean you're thinking at least they're young players starting to do things and for Michael Davis he only allowed 45.25 receiving yards per game. So when you look at the total number, it's like 741 yards. But when you put it that way, I mean, I think you would take that from your corner, allowing less than 50 receiving yards per game, a passer rating of only 79.2, John, and also only allowing 60.9% of the passes that are coming at him to be completed. I know we talked about him. He got the get the bag award pretty much unanimously, but I do think it gives the Chargers a chance to potentially sign him before he goes into unrestricted free agency. Maybe get him for a little bit less than market value. And at least in that case, you're kind of reaping the rewards of somebody that you've put a lot of time into. The Chargers have been coaching up Michael Davis since he got here, right? And we never knew if that was going to work out as an undrafted free agent. And now he's finally getting to the place where you wanted him to. He's turning the ball over. He's getting his head around and doing all of those things. And now you have to try to get him back. Well, time for me to be the, the pessimist, y'all call me. Wouldn't that be a what went wrong, too? Because now we have to shell out money for him and possibly lose him. I guess it just <laughs> depends who all was watching. <laughs> depends on your perspective here. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a good problem to have, right? But it's amazing. He outperformed Casey Hayward. We I remember we were harping on this guy so hard. Turn your head around. You're fast. You're keeping up with him. Turn your head around. Stop getting p- past interferences. This year, it's like all everything we've said for him to do came together. He was your guy. It's what you needed, really. I mean, if, with how bad Casey Hayward was playing, you needed somebody else to be that step-up corner. And now, I really hope we do kind of shell out some money. I don't want to overpay for him, but I'm really hoping we do shell out some money and keep him because that's young talent that you can have to develop, but especially with a new coach. That's someone Michael Davis is possibly uh, the second guy to build around on this defense behind Joey Bosa and Kenneth Murray probably be the third guy yeah I mean it could be potentially I know that I mean it's really exciting too just the fact that he is able to play in all 16 games right I mean last year he ended up missing four games the year before that he played in all 16 games so health hasn't been a big issue and you're not afraid of him losing a step in this second contract like you potentially are with Casey Hayward or Chris Harris Jr. I mean for him 
to be able to do what he did this season. I mean, he was targeted a lot over a hundred times. And when he was targeted, what we saw more this year was him actually getting in on the action, breaking up passes, being there, attacking the catch point, all things that we didn't really know Michael Davis for in previous seasons. So yes, I mean, it could be bad because he could go sign a you know lucrative contract somewhere, but going into this specific free agency, it doesn't seem likely. It seems like it'd be more likely he came back, you know, for a smaller length deal for a little bit more money, I would say, but not anywhere close to, you know, 20 million like some corners in the NFL are getting. And I think you would want to try to double dip again after the salary cap kind of balances out again. We can also be a, a little bit happy that the Chargers actually had some success in the division and went three and three. So got to mention that before we go. Yeah, well, I'll give them three and two. I'm not counting the one against the backups. But yes, it was nice to get a couple of divisional wins again this season, but only because the bar was you went winless in the season before and didn't win any divisional games i mean i don't think it can be a good thing unless you're winning more games than you lost in this case the chargers went three and three so it's hard for me to feel great about that because it has to be a lot better than that especially against the teams not named the kansas city chiefs if they want to really make the playoffs and be able to do something so that is going to wrap things up for today's show on what went right and what went wrong for 2020. We'll be back with you guys on Monday. We'll see if some more coaches end up signing with other places and some more dominoes fall as the Chargers wait for the head coaching targets to potentially come available. We'll see who signed when we get back with you guys. But until then, make sure to go follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC and to like the Facebook page LockedOnChargers, as well as subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast from. You can find the Locked On Chargers podcast there and make sure to rate and review. We would really appreciate it. And it's the fastest and easiest way to get the show. If you guys want to get your voicemails in, the number is 323-524-7924. And we try to get every Chargers voicemail played on the show. But that's going to do it for us today, guys. We're back with you guys on Monday. Until then, take it easy and go Bolts.